1: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
0: It is the most wonderful time of the year. Since it's return back in 2005, and for 13 consecutive years, Doctor Who has aired on Christmas Day, much to the chagrin of my family, who don't care for Doctor Who, but I do. So you're watching it, Mum and Dad. From evil Santa Claus robots, to giant arachnids, to retellings of Christmas classics, we've had it all. But back in 2019, new showrunner Chris Chibnall decided to axe the tradition, instead opting for a New Year's Day special with Resolution, which saw the return of the Daleks, the Doctor's greatest enemy. Which I stand by, is a good special, for the most part. Though it's not going to be on this list, we are going to be solely looking at Christmas specials that aired on Christmas Day, which does mean the End of Time Part 2 is also not going to count. Strangely, but yeah. With my little Christmas tree being up and me wearing a very, very garish Call of Duty Christmas jumper, we're going to do what we do here best, and that's rank things. My name is Rich, welcome to Who Culture, and this is every new Who Christmas special ranked from worst to best. Number 13, The End of Time Part 1. As said, just to be fair, not including Part 2. It's easy to forget The End of Time Part 1 aired on Christmas Day in 2009, and The End of Time Part 2 aired on New Year's Day 2010. And it's also kind of unfair to put this in as is because it's only half of a full story, the only part that aired on Christmas Day. But to be honest, putting Part 2 with it won't get it many more brownie points. Unfortunately, the close to the Russell T. Davies and David Tennant eras is among the show's weakest, with a heavily convoluted story that somehow manages to feel both too full of ideas and yet also very empty. In this first part, aired on Christmas Day, not all that much happens. The master, played once again by John Sim, is resurrected in some sort of nonsense ritual but isn't returned fully. He is forced to seek out food and shovel it down his throat, leading to multiple close up shots of John Sim enthusiastically shoving cheeseburgers and chips and masticating loudly. It's just a bit gross. Beyond that, nothing else really happens, apart from a very tearful conversation with Bernard Cribbins as well, which is always a good thing, so the fact that this guy is this low is actually a real travesty. What am I doing? And then the Master is kidnapped and taken to this rich guy's house in order to make a machine to make his daughter immortal, because... Sure. In the end, the Master uses the machine to turn everyone on Earth into himself, and Russellon comes back in the form of Timothy Dalton. Cool. For a huge End of an Era episode, End of Time Part 1, was kind of lacking. And as much as Doctor Who can really be silly, seeing lots of the Master's face is just Ugh. And to just bring in the end of time part 2 briefly to potentially kick it while it's down, some people weren't convinced by the I don't want to go line from David Tennant. For some it made them absolutely bawl and for some it made them probably laugh. Let me know in the comments where you land on this line. Number 12. The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe one of the lowest points of the Moffat era, the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe tried its damned hardest to repeat the success of the year prior's Christmas special, A Christmas Carol, which we will get to. As with A Christmas Carol, as the title suggests, Moffat takes a classic story and puts a Doctor Who spin on it. Last time it worked, this time, it didn't. While the base skeleton of A Christmas Carol is very familiar to the classic Dickens novel, this episode has very little to do at all with the Narnia book. Claire Skinner appears in the guest cast as Madge Arwell, a woman who has recently lost her husband during the war, but has not yet had the heart to tell her children, as she doesn't want to spoil Christmas for them. Attempting to repay a favour from an earlier time, the Doctor installs himself as the caretaker of the country manor, where they will be spending the holiday, and he goes into full, over-the-top, zany mode. Eventually the characters find themselves in a wintry forest setting and come across a bunch of inept soldiers who say that they need to get out because acid rain is going to come and decimate the entire place. There's also a few wooden people that ultimately do nothing, and then the day is actually saved by basic time travel and just changing the past. Which apparently we can't normally do unless Moffat writes himself into a corner, like he did here. Overall this episode's biggest crime is that it's just dull overall and proves that turning up the zaniness on Matt Smith's 11th Doctor does not automatically make a story great. Number 11, The Next Doctor Airing on Christmas Day in 2008, The Next Doctor was the first of a bunch of specials that would be basically David Tennant's farewell tour. This episode almost felt like Russell trolling us, because David Tennant had confirmed at this point that he was going to be leaving the show, and the next episode being called The Next Doctor just led to mass speculation. The Next Doctor introduced popular British actor David Morrissey as, supposedly, The Doctor. Morrissey was a very believable candidate to take on the role as the Doctor, and therefore a lot of people were very much on board. He is a very good actor. But the trick was given up on quite quickly, with us soon realizing that Morrissey is not the Doctor after all, but a man named Jackson Lake. Compared with his previous bombastic specials from the 10th Doctor era, this one feels sort of empty. Though the Jackson Lake mind wipe thing was definitely an interesting concept, the whole Cybermen being here, Cyber King, and especially, goodness me, the Cyber Shades, just made the whole thing feel really weak and kind of stupid. Arguably, this is one of the worst Cybermen stories ever. And to kick off David Tennant's farewell tour, it was not a good start. Number 10, The Snowman. The Snowman is a weird Christmas special in that it takes place in the middle, of his series. Series 7 is split into two, 7A and 7B, with 7A featuring the Ponds and their demise in The Angels Take Manhattan, and series 7 introducing Clara. (laughs) Here we go again! The Snowmen isn't a bad episode by any means, it's just stuck in an awkward position. Fans are still mourning the departures of the Ponds, as is the Doctor who spends the first half of this episode in a self-imposed isolation in the TARDIS this special also introduces us to jenna coleman's clara again after asylum of the daleks but again not as the companion we were going to meet in series 7. the titular snowmen aren't all that scary and really nor is the admittedly fantastic voice of saria mckellen as the great intelligence who in this episode resembles a giant angry snow globe even Richard E. Grant seems to be phoning it in a bit with a very standard villain portrayal of Dr. Simeon. This episode takes place in Victorian London, so obviously we've got the Paternoster gang, which is Madame Vastra Strax and Jenny. And if you're a big fan of these guys, then that's great. If you're not, then this episode is kind of boring and hence why it is lower down in this list. Number nine, The Runaway Bride. Series two of Doctor Who ended with an emotional dick punch I think none of us are ever going to forget. Doomsday was completely and utterly heartbreaking. It then leads straight into Catherine Tate in the TARDIS just being. <sighs> Donna. But not the Donna we actually come to know and love, just this. <sighs> different Donna. From our future vantage point, Donna is remembered as a fan favourite companion, having travelled with the Doctor throughout Series 4 before meeting her own tragic end and having her memories involuntarily erased. Catherine Tate clearly worked hard in that series and delivered a Donna that was surprisingly nuanced, likeable, and only balshly in the right amounts unfortunately none of that donna is really present in the runaway bride she's just kind of abrasive annoying and the bit of donna that should only be seen occasionally it sometimes felt she was playing an older version of her schoolgirl lauren from the catherine tate show you know the am i bothered person the fact that she was this abrasive version of donna in the runaway bride meant that when she was announced as the main companion of series 4 I absolutely hated it. I didn't like her in The Runaway Bride, and seeing that first shot of the coming soon of her, that's like sped up of her walking towards the camera, I genuinely just, no, why? But again, as said, Donna became this much better character as series 4 went on, and seeing her leave at the end of the series was really quite heartbreaking. It's just a shame her debut was pretty weak. Number 8, Voyage of the Damned. It's not talked about all that much, and it's mainly because people hold this episode in more of a kind of sense, but this is actually a record-breaking episode of Doctor Who. It is the most viewed episode of Doctor Who since 1979's City of Death, attracting over 13 million viewers on Christmas Day. Starring pop superstar Kylie Minogue as the pseudo-companion, the Doctor finds himself aboard a futuristic spaceship fashioned as a replica of the HMS Titanic. Well, that can only end well. The ship is hit by an asteroid field, which results in severe damage to the ship's hull, conveniently just as it's passing by the Earth. And guess where it's going to land? On Buckingham Palace. And we see Wilf! 10 out of 10, this should be number 1. As the ship plummets towards the planet, the Doctor teams up with the waitress Astrid Peth, played by Kylie Minogue, along with several other guests of the ship to try and reach the control deck. However, they soon realise this was no accident, as the robotic angels try to kill them. The episode was very well produced, and is arguably one of the best looking episodes of the Davies era, and it is a perfectly enjoyable ride. Although this episode could have been just that little bit shorter, there's a part in the middle where it just starts to lull, and although the death of Astrid is very hard hitting, there is no way in hell in one episode they we're going to try and replicate how hard-hitting doomsday was in series two and admittedly it would have been quite cool to see cardie minogue as astrid a little bit more that promise of time travel and space travel was there but it was snatched away from the doctor so soon shame number seven the christmas invasion The first Christmas special of New Who. No, it's not the first one. Let's not forget William Hartnell directly addressing the viewer and saying, Merry Christmas to all of you at home, because that was a thing. This was the first episode featuring the beloved David Tennant as the 10th Doctor. And compared to its future specials, this is much simpler in scale, and it benefits greatly from that, especially since it denies us the 10th Doctor for so much of the runtime. Following the parting of the ways, Rose and the Doctor come back to London, just as the Sycorax begin to invade. We get Tuba, Flamethrower, Robotic Santas, and a killer Christmas tree, and it's all... Very silly and very goofy, and it did kind of set the tone for Christmas specials, and to be honest, that's okay. This is an episode that arguably has stayed fun thanks to Nostalgia Goggles. I'm not sure whether people who've watched this more recently for the first time will enjoy it as much as we did when we watched it back in 2005. Once the Doctor does wake up, we get that iconic Sycorax sword fight, with the hand being cut off actually coming back in Series 4. And honestly, one of the best things about this special is the fact that Tennant is bang on with his characterization of the Doctor straight out the gate. As soon as the TARDIS doors open to reveal him towards the end, he knows the Tenth Doctor. And just to put it into perspective, Jodie Whittaker after two series and a special, she still doesn't know yet. That's not all on her, as I've said, but still, Tennant came out knowing exactly who he was going to be. That's nothing to shake a stick at.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Number six, the husbands of River Song. Dr. River Song is generally a well-liked character in the Hooniverse. And fans have been clamouring to see what this whole Last Night Under Rillium really was. Come the husbands of River Song, it turned out that Moffat was saving this for Peter Capaldi's Twelfth Doctor. The Doctor lands on an alien planet where he's mistaken for being a surgeon. Playing along, he is shocked to find River Song proclaiming she needs the surgeon, whom she doesn't recognise as the Doctor, to perform a surgery on her husband, King Hydroflax, a brutal space warlord who appears to have an invaluable diamond lodged in his skull. Not only does the towering Greg Davies deliver a headless performance as King Hydroflax, we're also introduced to Matt Lucas' Nardole who we'll get to know better in series 10, and we also get the amazing scene where Peter Capaldi gets to react to the interior of his own TARDIS as if it's the first time he's seeing it. The episode ends on a surprisingly touching note as the Doctor and River spend their last night together on Deryllium. Peter Capaldi gifts her the screwdriver we saw back in series 4 of Doctor Who, and Peter Capaldi and Alex Kingston play so well off each other Their relationship feels so much more real than it did between her and matt smith's doctor it's actually a real shame we didn't get more of these two together number five the time of the doctor following the epic 50th anniversary special the day of the doctor it was time for matt smith to hang up his bow tie and he did so in pretty explosive fashion in the time of the doctor The show had admittedly backed itself into a bit of a corner on this one, having made a big deal in the preceding seasons about predicting the Doctor's death. Several times over the course of the Matt Smith era, we heard parts of, or the whole, of the following prophecy. On the fields of Trenzalore at the fall of the 11th, when no living creature can speak falsely or fail to answer, a question must be asked. A question that must never be answered. This was Moffat, again, making the Doctor this big, universally relevant figure and almost a god and, uh... <coughs> Surprisingly, this episode pulls everything together in a pretty remarkable fashion. This episode is probably the grandest base under siege story we've had in Doctor Who, and it really surprisingly pulls everything together. The Doctor's granted new regeneration, and Peter Capaldi's Doctor is born. The only real bad thing about this is that Clara is... kind of wasted, she is very much relegated to the sidelines, as much as most of the Doctor's time on Trenzalore defending the town called Christmas is seen from her perspective, she's almost irrelevant in this story. Matt Smith's aforementioned regeneration is also a very emotional one. There were so many people who were very, very, very much in love with the Eleventh Doctor, and seeing him drop his bow tie, seeing Karen Gillan reprise her role as a vision of Amy Pond was heartbreaking. When that bow tie hit the TARDIS floor, if you weren't in tears, you have no soul. Number four, The Return of Doctor Mysterio. The Return of Doctor Mysterio is arguably the least Christmassy episode on this list, but that's actually not a bad thing. We've basically seen everything Christmassy done in Doctor Who. We've seen robotic Santas and Santa Claus himself. We'll get to that in a bit. We've seen classic Christmas stories being retold with the Doctor Who twist, and this might actually be why Chris Chibnall made his specials New Year's instead. Unless that was the BBC saying, Do you know what, Doctor Who? piss off Christmas. So a Doctor Who take on the superhero genre? It sounds kinda risky. Actually though, the story comes across as more of a love letter to classic superhero comics. Justin Chatwin's ghost is an obvious stand of a Superman, with perhaps an even more mild-mannered alter ego. He plays off the Doctor surprisingly well, and the episode is filled with comedic moments that remain genuinely funny. And yet again, this episode just goes to show how incredible of a Doctor Peter Capaldi's 12th Doctor is. In basically every scene he is in, he is spot on perfect, in just every single way. This episode takes place immediately after the Doctor has left Daryllium, knowing full well he'll never see Riversong again, in his own timeline at least, she will obviously meet David Tennant. And you'd think the Doctor would be playing off this whole episode with a lot more anguish, and in reality he is, but Capaldi sunk it down to a lower level, and though it does begin to resurge towards the end of the episode, as much as he is there fighting off big head splitting aliens with a superhero, there is still that underlying sorrow for the wife he has now lost. This is why Capaldi is so goddamn good. This is why I feel like he's super underrated, and you should love Capaldi more. Everything ends, and it's always sad, but everything begins again too, and that is always happy. Number three, Twice Upon a Time. Twice Upon a Time is almost a triple whammy of a Christmas special. Not only does it close off, the Pisa Capaldi era as the 12th Doctor, it also closes off the Steven Moffat showrunner era, and with how much actually changed when Chris Chibnall came in and basically made it a soft reboot of the show, which to better or worse kind of worked, this ends the first sort of full era of New Who. Unlike the vast majority of Doctor Who episodes, Twice Upon a Time stands out for one key reason and that's that there's no real villain. The Doctor has already been killed during the series 10 finale, so there was no need to have him killed again, instead we watch the Doctor fight the mental battle as to whether or not he is going to regenerate again. Some of the tension is robbed from this since series 11 Chris Chibnall and Jodie Whittaker had all been announced prior to this episode airing, so it's a bit of a shame because no one was going to pull off the idea that even with all of this confirmed, that the Doctor would actually choose to die rather than regenerate. Twice upon a time is many things, as said, it is funny and it's great to watch. It's a fantastic look back at what Doctor has achieved over the last, at this point, just over 50 years, and also a look at the character of the Doctor and just how far he'd come. And for one final time, as the Doctor who saves people, Peter Capaldi saved the General, played by Mike Gatis, in this episode, who turned out to be an ancestor of Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. Everything just came full circle. Oh yeah, and David Bradley semi-reprises his role, as the first Doctor, William Hartnell. I say semi because he only portrayed him in a biopic, not as the first Doctor, but here he is as the first Doctor, and he was fantastic. And just to wrap things up, apparently Capaldi's final speech at the end of the episode before he regenerates into Jodie Whittaker, he did that in one take. You literally can't dislike Capaldi's Doctor. You know how much he cares for this role and how much he cares for his craft. And those last few words... Run fast, be kind, don't eat pears, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but... (sighs) Capaldi was really, really special. Speaking of Capaldi, number 2, Last Christmas. Apart from our number 1 pick, spoilers, Matt Smith's Christmas specials were a bit So going into Peter Capaldi's first Christmas special, I personally really, really hoped Moffat would do something good. And my god, he did. Last Christmas takes inspiration from classic sci-fi horror movies such as The Thing and Alien, and somehow manages to include Santa Claus, played by Nick Frost, in a way that fits the narrative and doesn't feel overtly stupid. Trapped in an Antarctic base, the Doctor, Clara, and a team of four researchers find themselves up against dream crabs, face-hugger-like aliens that latch onto their victims' faces and put them in a state of dreaming to distract them whilst the crab digests their brain. Yuck. Four members of the base's crew have already been caught and now lie in the infirmary, slowly dying. The episode then takes an Inception-like twist, and makes it known that these dreams, are dreams within dreams. Yo dog! exhibit meme here. The crabs are suitably intriguing enemies and their ability to see themselves through their prey's own thoughts is an interesting development. The episode keeps you guessing throughout and has some genuinely chilling moments. At this point in time, the show was preparing for Jenna Coleman's Clara to leave the series, hence why Shona was given such a big starring on in this episode, because she was set to become the next companion. Of course, Jenna Coleman stayed, and Shona never became a companion. Which is a shame, because Clara, yay. Also, can we take a moment to appreciate just how good it is when the Doctor realises that Earth has a film called Alien? There's a horror movie called Alien. That's really offensive. No wonder everyone keeps invading you. And number 1. A Christmas Carol A Christmas Carol is the most perfect Doctor Who Christmas special that has ever been produced. Taking a literary classic, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, who of course has appeared in Doctor Who already at this point, and giving it that Doctor Who sci-fi twist, it manages to hit every beat perfectly. Unlike the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe, which was pish. Our Scrooge here is Kazran Sardik, played by Michael Gambon, who is a very rich businessman who owns a machine that can control the cloud layer around a human inhabited planet in the future. Amy and Rory are on their honeymoon aboard a luxury space liner which is currently going to crash into the planet unless Kazran agrees to clear the cloud layer to allow them to guide the ship back to safety. He being Kazran's sad dickhead basically just refuses because he's a bitter old twat, but the doctor uses his TARDIS to basically recreate the events of A Christmas Carol. For a show about time travel, Doctor Who rarely explores the effects of time travel in previous eras. Though Moffat in series five was very interested in writing stories that explored the effects of time travel and this episode is a perfect example. We watch as the doctor interferes in Kazran's past, altering old home movies in action as old Kazran is watching them. New memories begin to form in Kazran's mind, and we watch as he slowly battles with his newly emerging conscience. There are flying fish, the sonic screwdriver is eaten by a shark, and there's a surprisingly good performance by Catherine Jenkins. But it wouldn't be Doctor Who without a dose of tragedy though, and that is present too, in the form of Jenkins' dying character. She is held in cryogenic storage and can only be released so many times before she will die. Towards the end of the episode we realise it's not money that this Scrooge character has been hoarding all this time. It is time her time. Unable to make the decision as to when her last day should be, he has kept her frozen away for decades. Although she does eventually wake, we are left with the knowledge that these two have only a single brief day together. It's bittersweet, and it's brilliant.